0: Hey everybody, it's Shane with In Shane in the Membrane podcast. Today's topic will be death. I want to read a scripture here for you coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 54 to 57. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's first Corinthians 15:54 to 57. Going to cover a lot of sectors about death today, but I hope to wrap it up in a way that'll make you feel better about where this topic goes little side note here, if you are listening to the music segments on here, if you're logged into your Spotify or Apple Music, it will play that full song. If you're not logged into those or if it's not on your phone, then it's just going to play like a 30-second clip. But either way, that tells you how you can enjoy that music as well. And so we'll get into our first little intro here, segue, if you will, as we talk about death. Maybe you think you're below or beside or above, uh, I think by the time I get done with this podcast today, that when it comes to death, I would say I'm above. Okay, we're back on In Shane and the Brain. I'm your host, Shane Waldrop. Today the topic is death. I'm going to share a few stories today and kind of point you in a direction to get your mind thinking about this in the right way. One story I want to tell you about is My background is I spent some time being a combat medic and doing so in the combat zone. In one particular mission, we had an F-16 fighter jet get shot down. So we sent some people to go after some pathfinders is what we call them in the army. Some of the best of the best and a flight surgeon and a crew to go rescue the F-16 pilot. In route to rescuing the F-16 pilot, those Black Hawk helicopters also got shot down. So now they come knocking on our door. F-16's been shot down. Black Hawk helicopters with Pathfinders have been shot down. So now we have another recovery and rescue mission. We don't know what to expect. We don't know if anybody's alive. We don't know if everybody's dead. We don't know what kind of firepower. We already know they're firing at somebody because they've already shot down two aircraft. So they decide, we're going to go in, my crew, on a couple of medevac helicopters, and we're going to be surrounded by Apache attack helicopters, and we're going to go in and find these people. So we go. And we're going along, and every now and then we would just stop and hover, and they would fire missiles and do all kind of junk and clear out the way, and then we'd go further, and they they would do it again. So we get on the ground. Going to try to shorten this story up. And nobody's alive. One person's missing. I found out later they have been captured by the enemy, and that was the flight surgeon. And then... Everybody else was killed, either from the crash or from the enemy. But I never will forget the first person I went to and put my hand on and rolled them over to see their condition. They had a picture of their family in their hand. And to this day, I think about that, that that person must have lived long enough to consider their family matters. And, you know, I've always been told about when people get to their last minute of life or their last hours, they don't want you to gather all their belongings around them and situate all the things they bought around them. They usually want the things most important to them, which are usually their family. So we have to go about the arduous task of putting all these soldiers in their body bags and identifying the bodies and collecting the sensitive information. But I'll never forget, we get back on the Black Hawk helicopters and with all the bodies that we had to load, uh, nowhere had nobody had anywhere to put their feet. And I remember watching everybody, including myself, and we did everything we can to not rest our feet on those bodies of these soldiers who had given their life for our country. And then at some point, everybody's legs just get tired. And I remember there being a collective sigh, like, we got to let our legs down. We can't hold them up forever. And trying to find a place to put your feet. And everybody kind of looking at each other saying, it's okay. It's okay. We've done our job. We've done the task. Of course, they take them back and they identify them and and begin the process of notifying the families that their family member gave the ultimate sacrifice. And some of those times in my life that I will share with you today always remind me of the fragility of life, that in an instant you could be those guys that we rescued were going to save someone else who was in danger, and they became instantly ushered into eternity themselves. They breathed their last breath, thinking they were going to go help somebody be saved from breathing their last breath. And so death is a subject that most of us don't want to talk about, and we're kind of leading up to the time of year here, and then the next day where somebody died and then didn't stay dead, you know, that one person I'm talking about. And we'll get more into that in a little bit. But there are days where you might just want to stop and go, I am still alive. Holy cow. I'm still alive and I have purpose. I'm taking in I'm moving air in my body and I'm sucking in oxygen. I have a purpose right now and I better go after it, execute it, put boots to asses and do something about it. And so... What better song to think about that than Pearl Jam, I'm Still Alive. All right, we're back with In Shane and the Brain. I'm your host, Shane Waldrop. So we finished the last story about the death situation in the combat zone. So we make it out of the combat zone. Let me rephrase that, make it out of the combat zone. We made it out of bullets flying. There had been a ceasefire. No more bullets are going. We're done shooting at each other for, for the moment. And all, and then as soon as, I mean, like the next day, I think it might have even been the same day, this guy is eating his food, has a cracker out of those MRE meals, gets choked on the cracker, and stops breathing. And I think our entire unit took a turn doing CPR on the guy, trying to get him alive, and we could not revive him. And so this guy made it through all the bullets and craziness and then dies choking on a cracker. And so do you see where I'm going with this today? Is that death is certain. And so what are you doing to be ready for that? Are you living with purpose now? Are you just trying to arrive at death safely? So we get out of the combat zone and uh, we have this time where we take leave and we go visit family and stuff so i go with my friend is to his home in austin texas and we buy guns and so he's got a nine millimeter and i've got a smith and wesson uh, 357 magnum and so we're driving down the back road let me make a little subclause here do not recommend doing the things i'm about to tell you about but he's shooting street signs he's popping those street signs good old country boy style He's like, hey, I know you want to shoot your new gun. And he cocks it and hands it to me. And I said, no, dude, there's cars coming. We got to at least wait till the cars quit coming. And so he grabs it back, and when he grabs it, it goes off. And it's close enough to my face that I got a slight little powder burn on my face. I mean, I, I should have had no head left if it would just been a slight little bit turned to the inside so and now we have this clear exit, bullet exit hole in the window of the car. So we had to make some adjustments to that so the police didn't see this clear bullet exit hole as we drive into downtown uh, America there. But in that instant, I could have been on, gone. I could have been disappeared if you will that gun had 180 grain hollow points in it if that hit my head I would have I would have been the headless horseman right then and the car I was driving mind you would have been a driverless car which probably would have killed my friend too because we were driving down a highway but at that particular time wasn't God's plan that I leave this earth wasn't God's plan that I check out It was God's plan that I be doing something with my life and make every second, every minute, every breath count until I take my last. What are you doing? Are you living God's plan? Are you keeping somebody else from living God's plan? And if you don't believe in God, then I understand you're having a hard time with this. But what I want to tell you is the creator is there. And he loves you, and he has a purpose for you. That breath you're breathing in right now, that taste of that food you're eating right now, that wonderful sunshine or that rain you're, you're, you're doing right now, that's because he's letting you enjoy that. How about this? My heart is beating and sending impulses through my body to keep me alive, and I'm not plugged into an electrical outlet. I'm not sustained by anything than his will to keep my last breath going in me until it is my last breath. Are you living God's plan? Are you keeping anybody else from living God's plan? Back on the podcast, In Shame of the Brain. I'm going to get a little personal now. At the time you're listening to this podcast, or should I say the time that it was posted, is going to be March 31st, 2018. On this day, many years ago, we had a son leave this earth. At the time he died, he was three years old. I just want to give you a little background on that. On a Wednesday, we were at the Tulsa Zoo. Everything was great, having a great family time, spending time with our family, having the kids have a blast. old Nate, we call him Nate the Great, I remember the drafts, they couldn't be seen that day, and Nate was not happy about that, and he's throwing some kind of fit, because we weren't going to get to see the drafts. And I don't know what his affiliation with being that passionate about drafts was, but he was. And so anyway, we got him all calmed down and stuff like that, and he was just really wanting to see them. And anyway, we finished the day and went back home. Next day, Nate wasn't feeling too good. He's looking kind of yellowish in his skin. And so the next day after that, we said, we better take him to the doctor. So we take him to the hospital in the emergency room, and they said, you know what? He's got mono. So what you need to do is take this medicine here, go home, and on Monday morning, you need to see your family care physician. So we go through the weekend, he's not getting any better. We get to the family care physician and she says, "You know what? I don't know about this mono diagnosis. I want to run another test." So she runs this other test that tests tells about his liver function and his blood clotting and such, and it shows that he has a problem with his liver. So she said, "You know what? We have to get you to Children's Hospital." Of course I'm paraphrasing. So they're going to come in on a helicopter and get him and take him to Children's Hospital, but the weather conditions were not such that they wanted to fly with lightning and stuff, so we had to do an ambulance trip instead. And so we go and we get him there, and we get to Children's Hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas. They look at him, they go through various things there, and they say, you know what, we believe we're the best at everything except transplants. And we think he's going to have to have a transplant soon. So we want to get you to the place that we believe is the best at transplants. And that's Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago. So, of course, we're like, okay, let's go. And, of course, I'm paraphrasing all the emotions and stuff I'm leaving out and how we respond to each thing. So only one of us can go because they are going to put him on a medical Learjet. So we decided that I would go. So we load him on to the medical jet. I get on there with him. And we go to Chicago. we get there, he becomes uh, gets put on the diagnosis to see you know about the transplant if that's what he's going to need. and so they they look at him and they say, "Yeah, he's going to uh, he's going to need a transplant." So I'm going to pause right there and let that soak in for you. In just a matter of a few days, this sweet child of mine has gone from having fun at the zoo and being mad about the giraffe not being out to being through hospital, doctor, children's hospital, children's hospital now needs a transplant. So we're back. This is in Shane in the Brain. Picking up where we left off. We're at Children's Hospital now. We need a transplant. They tell us we're number one in the nation on the liver transplant list. If you've never dealt with that, you're happy. Just to give you an idea, there's a series of numbers, one through whatever, and you're the first choice. If somebody with their hot match, you get it first. Of all the people in the whole country, you're number one. You almost feel bad at some point. It's You want your kid to have a liver, but you also know somebody else in another place wants their kid or their mom or their cousin to have a liver and they're number two, number four, number 10. So we're number one on the list. Ironically enough, the first match that comes up is like six blocks away. Somebody's in a car accident and they die. And they had the exact same stuff that we need for a liver. Of course, somebody had to lose their life for this to be possible. Once again, death shows its head. So they go and they get this liver. It's like $30,000 to go six blocks away and pick up the liver. Come back, and they begin the process of doing the surgeries. Now, probably at some point, somewhere... This is a quick one-time surgery, but in the case of Nate, there were many surgeries that had to take place to get this to work right. There was the initial one, and then they had to go do some finishing, and then they had some ball duct attachment that needed to be corrected. I'm going to try to shorten this up as best as I can. Did the first surgery was in a place where they could not finish it in a way that was safe, so they left him open. That it wasn't where you could see it, but he was basically underneath the sterile packing and things like that. He was left open so that his swelling could go down. Next day, they are talking about the bile duct, and they're trying to get things done with that, and they go back in for that. And Of course, I'm paraphrasing by my memory as tough as those times have been. And long story short, there's complications that they run into with surgery. And they basically had to come tell us that he has died on the table and they had to bring him back. And they want to do this other thing. And they come and tell us again, he's died on the table again and so we want to do this other thing and I really do not remember how many times it was, two or three, I don't know. I do know, I want to say three maybe, but they needed to do dialysis because of where we were at in the times that this has happened, his kidneys were shutting down. And so as I'm signing the paper for dialysis, the doctor comes back again and He died again, and they just couldn't do anything for him. And so now, here I am, pastoring a church, leading people to trust God and focus on the one thing that matters and not interfere with God's plan. And now my son has left this earth and... I find myself really, really down in a hole. We're back in Shane and the Brain. One of the guys I keep track of in life is named Jocko Willink. Very studly sounding name, of course, but Navy SEAL guy. I've been through a lot. And I want to read you an excerpt from his book, Discipline Equals Freedom. And... I'm not saying this is a very spiritualized excerpt I'm going to read, but it is a perspective gained on death. He says this, But how does good apply to the worst of losses, the death of a loved one? It is easy to think that there is nothing good in death. But then I remember the people I have lost throughout my life the memories of them, the experiences, the fun, their unique personalities, and everything they gave me, not only in their life, but in their death. What their life taught me and what their death taught me, the mark they have left on me, and I realize there is good, even in death there is good. First of all, I was lucky to have had that person in my life, even if it was only for a short time. Too short a time, at least I got that. Those precious moments, those unforgettable memories, at least I got those and got to experience those times, to know the beauty of their personality, their attitude, their outlook on the world. They were all unique, and I'm thankful for the opportunity I had to interact with them. Now comes death. Death is horrible, and death is wretched, and death is cruel, and death isn't fair. And I don't know why the best people seem to be taken from us first death is also inescapable there is no way out no one gets out alive death is part of life like the contrast between the darkness and the light without death there is no life and the people that I have lost they taught me that they taught me how precious life is how blessed we are to have every day to learn to grow to laugh to live to live to live every day with purpose and passion, to wake up in the morning and be thankful, thankful that the morning is there, thankful for that opportunity to go into the world and live. Live for them, for those who don't have the opportunity, for those who were stolen away by death's cruel hand. For them I will live. I will revere their memory and I will live. So let us cry no more. Let us mourn no more. Let us remember, but let us not dwell. Instead, Let us laugh and love and let us embrace and venerate everything that life is and every opportunity that it gives us. Let us live for those who live no more. Let us live to honor them. Like I said, that's not a super deluxe spiritual content going on there, but he's giving us some perspective there. Now, I would add some more perspective to that. That there's more to it than what he's saying. That there is another place that we must look beyond this earth here. There's another place that it ends up becoming. That you can believe in your heart all you want. That when you die, you just close your eyes here. But, But if you're wrong, you're just dead. If I'm right and there's something after here, you're in trouble. Whenever Nate died, our son, I'd spend a lot of time traveling the world. I say traveling the world, traveling the nation and preaching on a passage about one thing matters. I want to read it to you now. It comes from the book of Luke chapter 10, 38 and following, and it says this. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. And I've been traveling around doing youth camps and rallies and preaching churches and conferences and all this stuff. And I've been telling everybody just what the Bible says right here in Luke chapter 10, that there is only one thing worth being concerned about just what Mary was concerned about in that passage, focus on the Lord, focus on God, focus on a relationship with Christ. And so now my son dies, and I never will forget it. You get on a plane, we're in Chicago, and we can't take him with us, you know, although he's not there anymore. He's left this body behind, and he's on to the next place. But you feel like you're leaving your kid there you're getting on a plane in Chicago, you're flying back to your house and you're not he's not coming with you. Yeah, it was the worst feeling when that plane left that runway. So then we're in the air and almost in an audible voice, I hear God begin to say, "You've been telling everybody in the world there's only one thing that matters: well is it true or is it not?" In the midst of this pain you feel right now, in the midst of this loss you feel right now, in the midst of this life you feel right now, does this still matter to you that there's only one thing that matters? Of course, I'm like, why me? You know, I'm trying to tell people about you and I'm trying to do what you want me to do, God, why me? And almost audibly, again, you hear God say, why not you? At least you can search and wrestle and grab and really wrestle and take hold of the only one thing that matters concept. But what about the person in the next room? Can they even wrestle that out? Can they even be, have a place of beginning, a genesis of where they discover how to place that with God and understand what he's doing? I'm not going to claim to ever totally know what God's doing in the situation, but then it really grabbed me as we took off in that airplane. Do I believe it or do I not? This is a pinnacle moment. I got a flight from Chicago to Tulsa to decide, do I believe what I've been telling people all these years, especially over the last few months as I before Nate died? And I decided I do believe it. And even in death, there's only one thing that matters. In every breath I take, there's only one thing that matters. In every person I speak to, engage with, every job I've had, every class I've taken, every degree I've earned, every relationship I've countered, you name it. You fill in the blank. There is only one thing that matters. And that is you and Christ connected, which gives you purpose. The only reason you're taking in breath in your lungs right now is because you still have purpose. The only reason you're still blinking your eyes is because he has decided that you still have purpose. You can't make yourself breathe. You can force yourself to take in a breath right now voluntarily, but you breathe all day involuntarily because you have purpose. The day I'm recording this is the day that my son left this earth. The day I'm recording this is also the eve of Easter Sunday morning coming. This year, in the year 2018, March 31st is when my son died. April 1st is Easter Sunday this year. Now, the atheists will have a good time on April 1st. They'll say, oh, it's April Fool's. It's really not Easter. I've got another comeback for them. April Fool's, he's not dead. My son, my son's not dead. He's not in his body here on earth anymore. He's got the greatest promotion that has ever existed, and I will see him one day. I don't know if God gives gifts such as he this, but I believe it is a gift. I miss my son all the time, and it's been years since he's passed away. We talk about it in our household often. We have pictures of him. We don't have an idol set up or nothing like that. But it's something that crosses our mind. But my son will not have to suffer. He will not have to get a job. He will not have to get a driver's license. He will not have to deal with the craziness that you and I know exists on this earth. You feel that? You feel that breath coming in your lungs? You take that deep breath. Just take one. You feel that? That is purpose. That is over and above death at any given day. We are celebrating Easter now. Right about now in history, that middle day between Good Friday when he died on the cross and Easter when he rose again, everybody wasn't sure what was going to happen. And maybe you're dealing with something right now. Most likely, guaranteed, you are dealing with something right now. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what to do with it. You don't know how to place it. You've experienced death. You've experienced loss. You've experienced confusion. You've experienced uh, trouble and hardship and pain. And I just want to tell you, that breath you're taking in means you have purpose. And death is a scary thing. None of us have ever been there yet. I can assure you right now that this time of year we celebrate, known as Easter or Resurrection Sunday, God put death in his own grave. You see, the whole point of Christ going to the cross and going to the grave and raising from the dead the third day was so he could defeat death itself. You want to live again? You want to see granny again? You want to see your son again? You want to connect with those that have gone before you again? You want to have the greatest life you've ever had. You want to make the most important decision you've ever made. you got to put death in his grave. You've got to connect with Christ. If you'd like to know more about it, I want to give you a way that you can follow me on any social network. Just look up The Shane Waldrop on any. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. You can find me that way. And say, hey Shane, how do I fix this? How do I know How to put death in its grave. How can I see my grandma again or my mom again or my kid again? I want to know about that. I'm going to tell you, that's what Jesus did all that for. The Bible says in Romans 10, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I believe that. I trust it. That's what gives me breath. That's what gives me purpose. That's what helped me get on that plane and go from Chicago to Tulsa and believe that I still trust in the fact that there's only one thing that matters. We'll leave the podcast today with the song that exhibits that statement that I've been saying. We're going to put death in his grave. and We'll see you next time here on In Shane in the Brain.